Welcome to Elixir Wizards, a podcast brought to you by Smart Logic, a custom web and mobile development shop based in Baltimore. My name is Justin Seepin, and I'll be your host today. I'm joined by my co-host, Eric Ostrich, the tallest wizard in the land. How are you, Eric? Good. And uh, Eric, freshly shaved. We'll get into that later. This season, season three, our theme is working with Elixir, and we've been sort of mixing it up with various topics. Today, we want to talk specifically about hiring and training, and we're joined with a couple of gentlemen from Dockyard, who you probably know from ElixirConf, Alex Garibay and Mike Bins. How are you? Good. How are you guys doing? Lovely. Thank you. How are you, Mike? Doing good. Yep. Great, great. So we like to start off with some basics. Could you introduce yourselves? Tell us a little bit about your background. Tell us about Dockyard. Tell us about your roles at Dockyard and how you got started with Elixir. Alex, if you want to get us started. Sure thing. I'm Alex Garibay. I am a engineering manager here at Dockyard. I've been here for almost three years now. And I got started with Elixir because I came from another functional programming language called Scala, which is based off the JVM. We can go into reasons why a little bit later if we'd like. Mike? Yeah, Mike Benz. I have been with Dockyard for about a year and a half now. I started Elixir about five years ago. I joined a team that was uh, using it for Docker build and deploy processes, built our own process to do that. Before that, I was on Java. And so it was a big jump from object-oriented Java to functional Elixir, but it was a good one. And I would love to get into that jump a little bit later on, but I think we're going to start off with some recruiting questions, Eric. Yeah, I guess we're actually going to start sort of with how you got recruited. So like, how did you both get your jobs at Dockyard? So I think it was around 2016, RailsConf was being held in Kansas City. That's that's where I'm based from. We were having an Elixir meetup that was just kind of starting. It was still brand new in our area. Brian Cartarella was in town and decided to give a talk or give us a little spiel at uh, our meetup. And I had been investigating Elixir probably half a year, year before that. So I had reached out to Brian prior to him coming to town. I said, hey, I'm interested in your company. You want to talk? He's like, yeah, let's do it. When I'm in town, ended up not happening. He was too busy, uh, which is which is totally cool. But over the next year, we had just been shooting emails back and forth. And I was just kind of like bugging him like, hey, man, I'm still interested. You, you guys got an opening yet? Fast forward a year later, there was finally an opening. And um, I got to have my dream job working with Chris McCord, which is one of my goals when I first found uh, Elixir in Phoenix. Very cool. Speaking of beards... Does Brian have a beard now, like a really sweet beard? Last I saw him, it was, it was pretty pretty good looking. What do you think, Mike? Yeah. So Eric's beard is gone, and Brian Carterella has a beard now. So that's that's the news on beards, people. Mike, what about you? How did uh, how did you get your role over there at Dockyard? Yeah. So I I was been following Dockyard for a while because Chris joined them, put them on my radar, and they they were a Boston shop uh, originally. So back in 2016 or so, I went down a couple times to the office, and they had a couple meetups and lunch and learns. So I was was able to meet a few of them there. When I was, it was time to move on from my my current job. You know, obviously, Docker was was top of the list that I was interested in going to, and uh, yeah, so I'd I'd reached out initially, and they weren't looking for someone at that point, but they reached out right at the right time, and I made the jump. So, so both of you reached out to Dockyard, which makes sense because Dockyard is a very well known agency and super high demand as far as like an employer is concerned. I'm curious, is Dockyard is also really involved in the community? How do you recruit new employees over at Dockyard? 
for the most part, we don't actively try and go out and source people. It's just a lot of word of mouth in conference sort of meetings. People just coming up to saying, hey, I heard about Dockyard. You guys are really interesting. Got any openings? We point them to our website. I mean, that's generally how I've felt things have happened. I don't know. What's your what's your take on it, Mike? Yeah. So I, I mean, I, I only see one part on uh, one side of it, but I, from my understanding, it's it's mostly people that are reaching out. It's kind of a, a non-answer. It's just, like you said, Justice, it's Dockyard is well known. We contribute a lot to the open source community and Elixir. People just kind of come across our name and, and just see the sorts of things that we're doing and just want to be a part of it. To be fair, you are at every conference. You're sponsoring every conference. You're really deeply involved in the community. So even if it's not intentionally recruiting, it's a good recruiting mechanism. Absolutely. Do you only hire developers who already know Elixir or do you just hope that people will learn it? Dockyard does have more than just the Elixir discipline, but for when we are hiring Elixir developers, we generally stick to only people who are already versed in Elixir. The reason why is because Dockyard sells itself as an expert in Elixir. It's kind of hard to show expertise in a craft when you have people still learning it or just being introduced to it. But that's not to say that people that are versed in another language already within Dockyard, say Rails, they could still come and join the Elixir team or do Elixir projects, they just need to have time to train and uh, show their their expertise or some minimum level of knowledge that we feel comfortable bringing them onto a client project. Could you talk a little bit about, Alex, you're out in Kansas City, so you're remote. Are you guys open to remote hires or are you focused primarily on Boston? I remember back when I was in Boston, Dockyard seemed like they were mostly local. Around the time when I joined, uh, 2017 is when Dockyard decided to go to a fully remote company. So there is no central office that we go to. We all work from our homes or wherever we want in the world as long as we can fit within a certain time of day business-wise. Which makes perfect sense because I moved out of Boston in 2016. Tell us more about the the stack that you've got over there because you've got an Elixir team. I know that you have a big Ember team over there. I'm curious, you know, how many different languages are you working in? Do your devs do any cross training across languages, across projects? Talk to us about the sort of day to day and the polyglot environment over there. Do you want to take this one, Mike? I've been talking a lot. Yeah. So like you said, we have a number of different languages that we work with, primarily Elixir on on the back end. As far as cross-training, Alex mentioned we have a number of Rails engineers that we're working on leveling up them in Elixir. Something I've been taking on that mentoring role for a number of them. So we can build the Elixir expertise in the company. We do front-end work as well. So that would include frameworks like Ember, which is the the primary one that we prefer to use. And then we also have some React developers and development. I want to digress just a minute because now we're talking about Ember and I feel like that's a hot topic. I'm curious, like at one point, Dockyard was really doubling down on Ember. I know that that might have sizzled out, if I can use a pun. Um, But I'm also curious, like, do you guys have any Ember Elixir projects, like Ember on the front end, Elixir on the back end? How does that work? Has it been pleasurable for you? Ideally, we would like to have that from the services side as a business. That would be the ideal case. But in reality, from what I've seen, it is mostly been it's either Phoenix work on the back end, it's either an API that doesn't need any sort of HTML front end, or it's a client side application that is already integrating into an existing back end API. But for the projects that do have in HTML front end, when we have Elixir work, uh, we generally go with LiveView as the preferred front end experience. Ooh, you have me intrigued. 
I, I would love to hear how has that been going? You have projects in production with live view on the front end. Yeah, I'll let you answer this one, Mike. Sure. Not in production yet, but the project that I'm currently on is the cars.com project, which I talked about at ElectroConf. And we are using Live View heavily for that. So it's been a lot of fun work with that back and forth. It's nice because Chris is, Chris is available to us to, you know, when we run into things or are looking for features or, or fixes, we can toss those over to him and get them fixed and move the project forward. But the cars, cars.com search results page will all be Live View once that rolls out later this year. I mean, do you have React developers over there? Is there a debate over there about whether or not to React or Ember? Uh, do you have opinions on the React versus Ember debate? I just want to dive into that. I know it's a digression, but... Sure. So the, the current state with Cars is that it's Live View and JavaScript, pure JavaScript. We're not, they're not using React in the front end. So there's questions of which parts of it should be written in Live View versus JavaScript. And there's kind of a balance of you know how much which points do you need that and that's something we're constantly redefining and or re, revisiting and but yeah it's phoenix elixir backend phoenix live view front end with some javascript for the stuff that live view is not really the right thing for talk a little bit more about that too because i bet a, a lot of people would love to hear about sort of heuristics you can use in making that decision whether or not to go live view or javascript Sure. Yeah. There's a number of different thoughts on that. Obviously, that's where the, the back and forth comes in. You know, you can go anywhere from only use JavaScript when you absolutely have to. Then there's, you know, only use live view when you absolutely need a live web socket and anywhere in between. And so, yeah, it's, it's something we're still working out and moving back and forth on and finding the right balance. To answer your question related to Dockyard, we do have React. We also encourage our developers who are interested in React to go off and learn. At Dockyard, we do have a continual learning budget where people can go to conferences or buy resources to build themselves up in other ways. In terms of a debate on which front-end framework to use, that varies a little bit. So this isn't the opinion of the, the company. This is just my own personal opinion. I like JavaScript. Sometimes if I can get away with it, I'll use Phoenix in live view because it just does what I need it to do. But there are definitely use cases for JavaScript and that's just not to be thrown out the window. I've been learning one that most people haven't used lately and I've been enjoying it a lot. And then I guess to throw another wrench into this, Dockyard is is sponsoring Lumen. Is that just going to set the debate on fire even more in the company? I mean, if you talk to Brian Cartarella, his eventual goal was to kill JavaScript, you know, no JavaScript ever, just write it all on Elixir. Uh, sorry if I'm speaking for you, Brian, if you listen to this. I think that was his original goal. Hopefully, we'll see something manifesting where you can start writing Elixir and have it compiled to JavaScript so you can still write JavaScript using Elixir. Well, I'm pretty sure everybody on this call would be happy to see JavaScript dead. You can't hear him, but Eric's laughing. Eric does not want to write JavaScript. Chris McCord can write my JavaScript. Exactly. Well, if Chris McCord write our JavaScript, that would be nice. Uh, Eric, do you want to start the... Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Mike. No, I was going to say, he's, he's writing in live view, so I don't have to. Eric, you want to jump into some training questions? So we're going to go from recruiting to training. When you're first onboarding someone, what do you think is the, the first crucial steps when bringing someone on? For myself, I believe the most important thing is to allow that developer feel included and empowered to do the sorts of things that they need to do to be successful at their job. We like to encourage people to interact with each other. So the way we interact daily is mostly through Slack since we're all remote, but we do 
encourage video chatting, pairing, hopping on calls if you have a question, or just kind of participating in certain certain debates on topics uh, related to the community. So helping people feel engaged, feel welcomed, and giving them the tools they need to feel comfortable at their job and feel successful. Mike, do you have anything to add there? No, I think Alex said it. Well, one of the things I love about Dockyard is is how well that's handled, how nicely or how well people are, are received and worked with. I'd love to sort of dig into that just a little bit because a conversation that's come up at Smart Logic, especially in the recent past, is how to help people with the soft skills that are part of the job, the communication skills, the written communication, the oral communication. Do you do anything at Dockyard as far as training is concerned around those skills or to encourage people to develop those skills? We don't have any formal training related to it. There are certain soft skills that we definitely do encourage people to work on. One of those would be speaking at conferences. That is definitely a skill in and of its own. And it can be quite scary and intimidating if you've never done that before. In terms of uh, just communication in general, when we're on teams together, we generally monitor each other's tone or wordings whenever we're communicating with just ourselves or with clients or with their developers. And one thing we really strive to do is be personal and empathetic to the person that's on the other side who is behind that keyboard. We're all human. We're all trying to to make the world a better place. And there's no place in the workplace to be jerks toward each other. So if you're commenting on code, we really encourage people to don't be prideful. Just provide constructive feedback that's really valuable to the person and uh, really empathize with them and, and try to understand where they're coming from when they're developing their code. Then rather saying, hey, this part of your code is really stupid. I don't think you should do it. I would have to have a talk with somebody if they did that at Dockyard. But Mike probably has some more words on that as well. Yeah, I think that's that's key is, you know, the, the employees at Docker to understand that that culture and that expectation. And if that's not being met, it'll get recognized pretty quickly and someone's going to help them get back to a, a better communication. Are there any strategies that you personally try to employ when delivering feedback or criticism that helps to soften soften the blow or the impact of that? Yeah, I mean, the, there's uh, if you're jumping in and only pointing out what someone's doing wrong, that's going to be taken worse than pointing out the things that you liked and things that went well, and then also things that could be improved. And then I find that asking questions is a better form than saying, you know, this is wrong. You should do it this way. You know, how about what if we tried this? Would this would this be better? Type thing. Let them work through that themselves and, and answer that as opposed to just saying this is this is wrong. Do it this way. All right. So you, Alex, you mentioned earlier that Dockyard has a continuing learning budget. Is there anything else that Dockyard does to help support the growth of the developers that you've got? Yeah. One thing that we offer is people who are willing and have the skill can mentor in their strength areas. So for myself and Mike as well, we both offer mentorship in Elixir for people who are interested in learning Elixir. They don't have to be Elixir developers they don't even have to be backend developers. We sit down with them a couple times a month, just going over things that they've learned or things that they had questions about, just walk through some code, talk about some suggested readings. We encourage them to do that and expand their skill set. Yeah, it's, it's something that I, I enjoy. So when I applied for college, I actually applied as an education major and pretty quickly swapped to computer science. But yeah, so the, the teaching and, and mentoring and coaching is something that I I enjoy so whenever possible with the engineers at Dockyard, if, if someone's looking to investigate or, or take on Elixir, I'll jump out and try to help them 
one of the big things that Dockyard does to support that is the Dockyard Friday. We do our client work on Monday through Thursday, uh, 32 hours a week. And then Dockyard Friday is the day that we, you know, we maybe have some meetings, we have a company stand up, but we also can do things like mentoring and work on open source code and learn these new things. So a good chunk of my Dockyard Friday has been, been mentoring other engineers in Elixir to try to level them up. Have any cool projects come out of Dockyard Friday in the recent past? Yeah, well, there's been a bunch of them. I have a couple that I've worked on. I have a wrapper for ETS that I worked on early last year. Elixir wrapper for ETS, one called Project Iron Man. It's an archive that you can run on a project which will add things like Credo and Dialyzer and Git hooks and all sorts of stuff like that to help. The command is called suit up. It basically suits up your project. Uh, it'll go through and check for any out- outdated dependencies and ask if you want to update them. If you want to add a dependency, you just type the name of the dependency and it'll throw it in your depths. That's a project that I've done on Docker Friday. If you can see my face right now, I am intrigued. Is this open source? Is this something we can share with the community? Yeah. Yeah. And that actually, what, what was nice about that, that came about because the first project I was on with Dockyard, when that wrapped, we were going through myself and Jason, the other engineer on the project. We said, you know, we've learned a bunch of stuff as far as different tools to use and, and best practices in Elixir. Let's get these all written down so that when we move on to our next project, we can use them from the beginning. And so we came up with a document and we listed a bunch of stuff and kind of had the idea that what if that we could automate this stuff? And so that's where this project came out. So it's, it's an archive, like I said, it's an archive, you install it, and then any project you're in, you just run mix suit up. It'll check for those things. It'll install them for you. Deal with a bunch of the best practices that we've come across. So, and that's because of uh, Docker Fridays. Well, that is awesome, and definitely we're gonna want to link to that in the show notes. Also, I will just mention that it seems a little off brand because you have Captain America on your website. So Marvel. So you gotta, yeah, <laughs> it is on Marvel brand. That's right. Uh, do you have a favorite resource for learning Elixir or functional programming more broadly? My favorite book for Elixir is Sasha's book, Elixir in Action. That was the first book I came across when learning Elixir. I've read several others since, but I still feel that Sasha's book embodies a lot of the information that I need to be successful here at Dockyard doing client work for others. Mike? I got to review the Programming Phoenix book that was just the new version which came out. I really like how that talks about not just Phoenix, but programming concepts within Elixir and project setup and, and things like that. That's a really good one if you haven't read it. Even if you're already doing Elixir or doing Phoenix, what it talks about in there and the concepts that it covers. I really like that book. Uh, was there anything else that you recently read, attended, maybe watched if it was a YouTube video or something that was a great learning experience? If you haven't seen it, there's a, I want to say it was the Elixir Comp 2014 keynote, Dave Thomas about Think Differently or Think Different. If you haven't seen that video, that to me kind of shifted how I program in Elixir earlier on. And it was it was a huge thing. And it's something that whenever I'm working with people new in Elixir, I always suggest that the way that it explains it and lays it out is really, really awesome. For myself, I've been learning some JavaScript stuff lately. Chris McCord might find that to be heresy, um, but I was watching a video about Nuxt.js, which is a web framework or front-end framework uh, built around Vue.js, and it was presented by Sarah Drasner, and she's a really entertaining speaker. She really knows her stuff. She's also on the, I believe, on the Vue.js core team. She made it really fun and interesting to walk through an application in an hour. I would like to be able to present things like she does one day, but in due time. 
That's a great recommendation. I've never heard of Nuxt. And is it Next or Nuxt? Nuxt with a U, inspired by Next.js, you know, the React world. Okay. Yeah, definitely. I'm going to check that out. Thank you for sharing. How do you challenge yourself to continue learning and growing as a developer? Mike? So diving into new stuff, one of the things that I use a lot in, in mentoring and teaching is the, the Credo library. I found that that's been huge in helping teach concepts about Elixir. We have that in our CARS project and CI. So a bunch of conversations with newer Elixir developers that have started with, hey, Credo's telling me that this is bad. What's the deal? And something, you know, you can explain, get the chance to explain to them, hey, you know, this is what generating atoms on, you know, with string to atom can potentially do to your system, you know, take it down. Or if you're appending items to a list instead of prepending, that's a bad idea. Here's a better way to do it. And so I really enjoy using Credo and, and it's helped a lot. So what I've done is I've been talking to Renee a bit and I've been jumping through that and diving into the issues that are in there and working through a lot of the older issues and trying to clean those up. For me, that's got me into AST and deeper into the language Been learning a lot with that by simply jumping in and saying, you know, hey, it's doing this. Why is it doing this? Well, if I dig deep enough into this, I can, I'm actually starting to learn the deeper concepts of how, how the language is formed. That's helped me move forward. That's a great answer. And we love Renee over here. We're like his biggest fans. He's just so nice. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he's a great guy. Alex, what about you? How do you continue to challenge yourself to learn and grow as a developer? I feel I learn best or grow best when I'm put in an uncomfortable situation, like technologically speaking. If I get complacent with a language or framework, I feel like I kind of stall. So a lot of times outside of dockyard time, I'm actually learning other things. Like like I've mentioned, I've been learning some JavaScript frameworks. That's actually how I ended up learning Elixir in the first place was, I want to learn something new. Let me learn Elixir on the side. And here I am. But if I continue to learn things outside of my comfort zone and build things with them, I feel like I have a more holistic knowledge of just things in general and I can make better decisions in the things I am well-versed with to say like, hey, this thing falls short here. Let me try something else here. Let me reach outside the normal toolbox to see if this works better or vice versa. What makes a good manager? Like what skills are important? And also how do you challenge yourself to grow in those areas or learn the skills that are required to be great at engineering managing? So for myself, I haven't been an engineering manager for, for too long, maybe six months, seven months. I'm actually Mike's manager uh, for what it's worth, but I feel the most important thing for my role is to empower the people who report to me, to give them the tools to give them the resources to be successful at their job daily, but to also help them grow and learn new skills that they're looking to grow, such as conference speaking, making their first open source library, getting into open source in general. So just helping them be better at what they're already good at or expanding in ways that they didn't think were possible. For me to continue growing, I guess it's just, I have to get feedback from my own team to feel, am I doing a good job where meeting their needs? Is there anything I can do better to help them grow, going off and doing training of my own uh, to help myself become a better manager? That's really good. And I'm just now noticing, Alex, that you have a Captain America shield behind you too, which is like a great theme. Mike has it on his website. You have it in the room that you're sitting in. I love it. Finally, the last question is sort of a softball Eric and I are both going to be at Lone Star Elixir next month. Will we see you there? Yep, I'll be there. I'll, I'll be talking actually on that on ETS and about some of the issues you can run into when using ETS and 
then uh, introduce the Fs library and how it tames those those issues and makes it easier to work with. So yeah, I'll, I'll be there. I'll be there as well. So if you're listening to the podcast, come stop and say hi to us if you even know who we are. But it's all right if you don't. If they're listening, they should know who you are. Eric, I'll let you close it out. Yeah. And finally, before we head out, we always like to give our guests a chance to plug anything at all that you want to talk about, your social media, any kind of libraries, anything like that. So yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I already mentioned my hats and, and Iron Man. Another thing I'm, I'm really excited about is the work that Jason's been doing. The, the, I mentioned he was on the project with me before. He's also on, on cars with me. He's working on a neural network annex he talked about at ElixirConf, but he's working on connecting that with OpenCL so you can do matrix math on your graphics card instead of in Elixir. So there's some really cool stuff that he's doing there in Rust. And so that's something to keep an eye on. He's every other day, he's like, Mike, Mike, check this out. This is, you know, and it's, it's Jason Goldberger. Oh, I love Jason. He him and I just get into it after conferences. We're like exact opposites, but we just love each other because it's, it's a deep thing that you get into. Alex, what about you plugs? Yeah, uh, you could find me on Twitter. I do occasionally post uh, at underscore Alex Garibay. I have a website, just Alex Garibay, I, where I write very infrequently. So I'm part of the Phoenix core team. I just want to plug that as well. Uh, if you're finding issues with Phoenix, just feel free to post an issue. We'll try and make it better. Or if you want to come contribute, feel free to ask me where you might be able to get your first contribution if you're looking to get into open source in general. Rock and roll. Thank you guys so much for coming on the show. It's really been a pleasure. That's it for this episode of Elixir Wizards. Thank you once again to our guests, Alex Garibay and Mike Bins, and my co-host, Eric Ostrich. Once again, I'm Justice Epen. Elixir Wizards is a smart logic podcast here at Smart Logic. We're always looking to take on new projects, building web apps in Elixir, Rails, React, infrastructure projects, and Kubernetes, mobile apps using React Native. We'd love to hear from you if you have a project we could help you with. Don't forget to like and subscribe on your favorite podcast player. You can also find us on the Instagram and Twitter and Facebook. You can add me at Justice Epen everywhere. Eric Ostrich. I think it's Eric Ostrich everywhere, right, Eric? And add us on all those things. Hit us up. We'd love to hear from you. Join us again next week on Elixir Wizards for more working with Elixir. Elixir.